What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number two, a conversation with Dr. Lori Marbus passionate and persistent plant-based crusader when it's dinner time i got something you should try it's crunchy green and yummy and it's about to blow your mind it's low on calories and it looks like mini trees when you're having dinner with me broccoli host, Dr. Yami Kazorla Lancaster, board-certified pediatrician, certified Food for Life cooking nutrition instructor, certified health and wellness coach, and passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, behavior change, and motivation so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you will keep coming back as a regular listener. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Dr. Marbus is a family practice physician who most recently has been practicing lifestyle medicine, and she has an incredible story and an interesting journey. So I'm going to let Dr. Marbus uh, tell us a little bit more about herself and what she's up to and her history as a physician. Well, thank you, Yami. I'm so excited to be here. Um, it's been an honor to, I've interviewed you as well, and uh, it is a lot of fun to have our paths cross at PCRM, which is a part of that journey to lifestyle medicine. I um, started wanting to be a doc when I was 10. My sister was ill and got better suddenly with a doctor intervention. And I was like, that's the coolest thing is hospitals are awesome. I mean, what 10 year old thinks that, but I did. And so, you know, my journey was set. Um, it took a while to get there. I went on to college after high school. I met my husband, we got married. I stayed home actually for three years and had three, or excuse me, six years and had three children. Um, I started back to medical school when I was 28. My kids were five, three, and 10 months. Um, during that time, my husband was active to the Air Force. He drove 100 miles one way to work every day for the first two years while I was in medical school. I did an MD and MBA. My grandmother lived with us. It was a crazy time. 
um, went on to do residency in family medicine at Texas Tech, where my daughter actually is starting this fall. She's starting medical school there um, this fall. And, um, you know, from there, I went to the active duty Air Force. Um, and all along, I was just treating patients just like we were taught traditional family medicine. You know, it's uh, if you have high blood pressure, it's a medication. You tell them to eat less salt, you know, get some more exercise, eat less food, stay away from the junk food. But really, that's the extent of nutritional education um, that I received. Certainly, you know, they didn't tell you this is how you approach a patient um, as far as look at their exercise habits. This is what you tell them to do more with their habits. This is what you need to do. I mean, there's so much that we could do. We learned motivational interviewing, of course, um, learning the stages of readiness. Um, but they didn't give us much more as far as the tools to employ to bring someone along. And honestly, I really had an interest in being online presidents at present, excuse me, I feel like you could reach more people. And I've actually learned a lot from marketers um, and how they motivate behavior change and reach those emotional buttons and really connect with people on a different level. And um, it may seem like some manipulation, but it really isn't. Because I always tell people, you know, I shouldn't care more about your health than you do. And oftentimes people are surprised when they have that realization is like, wow, maybe I am walking around with my eyes closed to what the possibilities are of my life because I'm stuck in this disease that's overwhelming me. And so that kind of is where my path continued. Um, I was in Colorado after the Air Force, and I had a patient come up to me in a regular clinic appointment um, who was 37. She was young, um, uh, overweight. She had multiple medical issues. And she happened to mention to me meat and dairy upset her stomach. Well, like any doctor I would or any rational person would say would be, well, stop eating meat and dairy. And intuitively, I understood that that meant that she would feel, you know, she would be okay. But it didn't dawn on me. It didn't like really click that, oh, that leaves her plants. It really didn't. I promise. That was just, that didn't happen until a month later when she actually came back for a follow-up appointment with her 16-year-old daughter. Um, who, because we lived in a small town called Rifle, Colorado, and literally my new joke is, well, it's maybe not a new joke, it's an older joke, um, is, um, you know, there's a lot of hunters and no gatherers in Rifle. Um, <laughs> she, there was really no places to go out to eat. So they actually literally had to go buy food and make it at home. So they were really doing what I would encourage patients to do today. And they were eating a, a whole foods, plant-based diet, unbeknownst to myself or them at that point. And... She came back in 30 days. She felt better, which was to be expected. But what was really cool was her daughter, who was 16, pulled herself off two attention deficit disorder medications in that 30 days. And her mom was just astounded. She actually brought her to the appointment because she was so overwhelmed with just excitement. She's like, Dr. Marvis, how did this happen? I'm like, I really have no idea, but that's so cool. I need to do some investigating. And, you know, I would hope that every physician would take upon themselves to listen to their patients. And when they've had some dramatic improvement in their health from changing their nutrition or adding something in to really look at that is this, you know, and, and look at the evidence. And that's really what happened to me. And during that time um, I was like, wow, this whole food plant-based diet has been around for, I mean, we're talking decades of scientific data in the journals that we all respect, the JAMA, the, you know, all of these peer-reviewed, amazing uh, journals. And there, it's just sitting there with Dr. Ornish reversing heart disease, Dr. Ornish, you know, uh, reversing prostate cancer and, 
and you have Dr. Esselstyn and Dr. Campbell and the whole and the China study. I'm just like, my mind, I mean, it was like the patient opened the door. And then when I kept reading, it just burst open. It was like sunshine in my soul. You know, it was like, wow. Um, so I was like, this is an arsenal that I could really get into. But, you know, being the a human <laughs> and eating, having grown up eating meat and dairy myself, um, I had to do one more experiment. So I had one more patient come in who was um, a lupus patient. Uh, to make a very long story short, she ended up um, improving her lupus, losing 50 pounds in a very short period of time. Renal uh, issues that the lupus nephritis had been affected had improved um, within five months. Um, she was able to come off medications. I mean, it was incredible. Um, but she had a dramatic improvement in a period of about two weeks. And um, that night I went home and my boys who are here with me now, you could attest to, I literally came home overnight and threw everything out. I took a garbage can, like literally walked in the door. I was convinced that if I'm going to share this with patients, I have to live what I, I, I have to live it. I have to be authentic because I have to be able to sleep at night and sleep is very precious to me and I have to have a clear mind. And, um, so I literally went and, um, cleaned it all out and except for a freezer in my, um, garage. It had a quarter of a grass-fed beef. Sorry, I think they're doing something out back in my apartment here. No um, there's a lot of pumping. Uh, the, uh, the freezer had a quarter of a grass-fed beef in it. And I was like, what am I going to do with this? I can't give it away because I know it's going to kill someone. I mean, I'm, I'm literally feeling like heartbroken that I spent $400 on this. And then at the same time, I was like, well, maybe I'll give it to the animal shelter because, you know, there are animals who can eat this, you know, carnivorous animals like cats and such. I, I didn't know. I was still trying to process it in my head. But two days later, after coming home and removing everything from the home, that freezer broke and it was in our garage. And I don't know if anyone's ever smelt the mm, yeah, the, <laughs> the carcass and blood and running down the garage. And honestly, since that day in 2012, never ever since then wanted meat never never thought never dreamt didn't want i don't even want to walk down the aisle to grocery. i mean it was like god just shut that door for me permanently and um cheese took me about mm, three months to quit craving that took a little bit um now even the smell of the you know normal cheese just makes me nauseous um but i am also have reconfirming with every single patient that we reverse diabetes, reverse hypertension, drop their blood pressure, you know, angina goes away. All of these things, they drop a hundred pounds in four months or whatever. It's a re it's, it's really pushing me even further and further and further away from it. Cause it's so easy to walk away from those foods now because I know the positivity and the health and the ripple effects that are occurring. You know, I share these things with other doctors who also change their life, their own personal health changes, but then they tell patients change. And so now that ripple effect that started with me hits that doctor who hits other patients and they share that with me. It is the greatest joy and blessing. And I'm just so honored to be part of that journey. It's just really cool. Wow. And yeah, I mean, I just, hear and see your excitement. I've been listening to your podcast as well. So I've heard that story before. I think it's a lovely story, but that lupus nephritis patient, you still weren't completely convinced yet. You know, you were kind of like, I think so. But before you asked her, Mm -hmm. Would you try it? What was going through your mind? Were you nervous about it? And how, how did you present it to her and how did she react 
And was it right away? She's like, okay, yeah, I'll try it. Or did it take her a while? So tell me a little bit more about that. Where were you mentally and how you were able to convince her to give it a try? Well, you know, it was actually my first appointment with her. So I, I didn't know her before. <clears throat> and she came in, I, when she came in, she was younger than me. She was in her early forties, um, by a couple of years younger, we're at 40 and she had a list of medications. And, you know, if you look back when I would see a patient, I always look back at their medical history. So I'm aware of what's going on and can provide what I would consider at that time was good medicine. You know, I'm like, okay, well she's on the max dose of this. She, there's room for this to, to change that medication. That's how my thinking was. Um, but during those two weeks, I literally was changing my, my paradigm of medicine was shifting rather radically, but I was trying to learn all of this in a very rapid succession. I mean, I was delving into videos and books and I mean, I was just overwhelmed. And so, but for me at that time, when she walked in the door and had these complaints of migraines daily and She's had this lupus and I've been reading about autoimmune diseases and, you know, molecular mimicry and leaky gut. I mean, all these things that I was like, what in the world? Um, I was like, you know, I just felt God, I feel it was a God thing. God just told me, Lori, you need to talk to her because this could save her life. And so I presented it as, you know, I'm, I told her a little bit about the, the previous patient whose daughter got better. And I said, you know, um, I don't know if this will work for you. I'm reading that it might work. Would you mind being your guinea pig? Because honestly, medicines aren't working for you. She was on methotrexate, high doses of prednisone, pain medications, all these other things, and um, continued to suffer and, um, you know, was ill and tired and um, just, you know, felt like nobody could help her. So why not? Why not give her back to the power of the natural foods that we, we were made to be consumed? And it worked. And when I shared that with her, my mind shift was like, we have nothing to lose. There are no side effects. Um, there are only positive things to gain. And if it doesn't work, well, it doesn't work. Then we move on. But if it does work, holy moly, this is freaking awesome. And so that's how I thought about it. Because I'm like, I can't, I can't walk away from what happened. I mean, I can't, I can't shut the door. If I had a cancer patient, for example, I've interviewed Dr. Ron Weiss and his dad went on a strict macrobiotic diet. He had stage four pancreatic cancer with two weeks to live, severe discomfort in the abdomen with documented mets to the liver. And his doctor said, there's nothing we can do. We can give you palliative chemotherapy. Um, but his dad's like, no, I'm just going to go home and, you know, put to rest everything I need to do. And, you know, dot my eyes and cross my T's and, and come to peace with this is the end of life. Well, his son, Dr. Weiss, went to the library back in the early 90s and was like, I don't, I, let's look and see what else we can do. And what they found was a plant-based diet and with some help with some people in the macrobiotic time at, during that time, he actually had documented, reversed the tumor sizes, the METs by 50% and went on to live 18 months and go back to work, came off of all those pain medications. He worked up into two weeks before he died. Now, did he cure his cancer? No, but it makes you wonder if we eat this way, if we can prevent cancers, you know, if we can actually prevent the tragedies that we're seeing all around us. I know we can with heart disease. I know we can with type two diabetes and I know we can with hypertension. I mean, that alone would save billions of dollars a year 
And what can we do with those billions of dollars? We could feed kids. We could, you know, make our infrastructure stronger. There's so much more we could do besides feeding a disease that we're literally eating. I mean, I could go on for hours about it. But, you know, that for me is such a motivation that we have to take a stand. And physicians are in a really unique opportunity because we have those relationships with patients. And we have you know, status and respect amongst, you know, our peers and society. And so we should take that responsibility seriously and do what we're supposed to do. Exactly. No, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And I've heard that story before too, uh, recently on the documentary, Eating You Alive. Yes. I love that documentary. I think it's so well done. Yeah. And that brings me back to another question I wanted to ask you, which I think that this happens not just for diet, but a lot of things in the medical community. When you had that first patient that came back to you and said, I tried this, look what happened. You did something very important. You stayed open-minded and you said, well, it, you know, Occam's razor, you made a change. It seems like that helped. I don't know why, I don't know how, but let me look into it. I'm going to stay Mm open-minded. However, in the story about the physician that you were talking about, Dr. Weiss, correct? Mm -hmm. It seems like his dad's doctor did the opposite. So whenever his dad came back and said, look, look how I was able to increase my quality of life. So it's true. He didn't cure his cancer, but he lived so much longer and he improved his quality of life. He was able to have joy and spend more time with his family. But instead that physician didn't want to hear it. He He remained closed minded. So what do you think that we as a medical community, not just physicians, but other healthcare practitioners can do to stay open-minded, to stay open-minded to looking at nutrition, to looking at lifestyle and the power that it has to improve our health, to keep us healthy, to give us more years of joy in our life. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's a few things that are happening. Um, Culturally, we're changing. So medicine is not the patriarchal society that it was. You know, women going into medicine was a big deal even 30, 40 years ago. Um, And the doctor was the don't ask any questions. You do what I ask. You do what I say. You know, we've we've really been pushing that relationship into a patient-driven one, that they are active components of their healthcare. And I think that, that, that relationship is kind of a pendulum right now. You know, we're, we're kind of stretching and going and trying to feel out new things, especially as medicine is changing and reimbursement and fee for service and all of that. Our, our position as physicians is changing. So, you know, when we have one of very high respect, no one questioning you or authoritarian figure, mm-hmm. authoritative figure, um, that is changing to more of a team approach. You know, we have younger physicians who are more open to different ideas. So I think that is changing as women enter, you know, we are half or more than half, actually, I think, I don't know. I don't know the most recent statistics as far as physicians, we tend to be a little bit more, I would think open to more. And it may, you can describe this as by it. I just think I've run into more women are more open to this than the men that I've come across. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's just my personal experience. Um, but I certainly think the younger generation is being more open-minded. For some physicians, for example, going to an EMR, um, you know, that's been my experience is some of the older male physicians, um, not so much, 
you know, and some just a different, they, they don't want to change. They like the way things are. They like the status quo. They just want to see their patients. They don't want to change. And I think that's just going to come with time in a cultural shift and change as we get younger individuals in who are more attuned or have more availability to be online and learning and seeing these things. Um, for me, I just always knew that I didn't know everything and I didn't want to know everything. Cause if I ever, if I ever thought that I knew everything, I would be a dangerous doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, because that leads to shutting doors to potential opportunities to help patients. And so, um, you know, I think it's a matter of remaining humble and understanding, like I said, you can't know everything and that's okay because you're not, ex you know, in medical school, they want you to believe you have all the answers and there is no way to look outside of traditional allopathic medicine. You know, these diet people think that I'm a, um, what they call it, an alternative doctor now because I believe in diet. No, I was like, <laughs> I'm actually still very scientifically proven. I, that's fine. You can label me what you want. But it doesn't debate the, you know, you can't debate the science. The science is there. It's there. My clinical, yes, it's anecdotal experience, but it's years of experience, proves the science. And so, you know, I would challenge anyone to look at the science, be open-minded, look at the science. I mean, the science is right there, people. And nobody doesn't, everybody gets better. There's been zero side effects. I, I, I actually challenge people, prove me wrong by doing this for 30 days and prove me wrong, you don't feel better, that your weight doesn't drop, that you don't come off medications, that you just don't feel as amazing. I mean, so if that, you know, prove me wrong. And when you can prove me wrong, then we'll have another conversation about maybe I was wrong. But that has yet to happen because everyone who takes my challenge comes back and goes, you're right. And I'm not doing it because to say that I'm right. I'm doing this because this is an urgent message because we can save lives. There is needless deaths every single day. And doctors who shut themselves off to the potential opportunities to help patients because of this, I consider it medical negligence in malpractice because I think you could have the key to save someone's life. I think you're, you're being selfish and obstinate. Is, it's, not, it's not your right to hold that, withhold that information. And um, it frustrates me to no end. Um, I get really aggravated sometimes about that. And um, we see that with, with Dr. Weiss in my interview in the podcast, you know, because that doctor, his dad went back a year later and the doctor just poo-pooed it. He just completely ignored it. Like he just went, Phew. they asked what he did. And he said, we ate a plant-based diet. And he's like, Phew. like, oh, like nothing ever happened. Mm -hmm. Like you, you just had 50% reduction in his tumors. Well, really? This is what he did and you're ignoring it? Imagine in the early 1990s, if someone would have taken that and ran with it and joined the, the Dr. Esselstyn's and joined the Dr. Campbell's and joined the Dr. Ornish's. Wow, that's an incredible story. What an incredible being that we'd have sharing this information and saving lives. And so um, I call them out and say, you know, you're being, I think you're being selfish and obstinate and think you know it all, then you're not a good doctor. You're not a good doctor if you're not open to the potential of nutrition saving lives. And that's exactly. what it is. And I think, too, um, what you were talking about, prove me wrong, I, I think that's awesome because humility is very important. And I think a lot of us that go into medicine, we do have a certain amount of pride. We've worked so hard and we've studied so long. And you get to the point where you feel maybe you get this false sense of, I do know a lot, you know, mm -hmm. and so it, it closes you off a little bit to 
other things, you miss things in your environment because you're thinking only one way. Mm -hmm. um, but I think about that in pediatrics um, all the time too, because one of my big things is the dairy, you know, I just, that's right. my, my, I'm a, I have a gentle approach and that's my first entry point. And it's, it's low risk. You know, it's so low risk, actually no risk. And I say, well, why don't we just try it? It may or may not help, but it, if it does, it's an intervention with no side effects. And in fact, right. all the side effects are great. You know, other good <laughs> things might happen that you didn't even realize were being caused by dairy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, going back to behavior change, I know that mm -hmm. one thing that you're interested in is medical education. Right. And speaking of this, this culture that we have in medicine, mm -hmm. what would be your approach whenever you are talking to medical students and wanting to tell them about nutrition and lifestyle? What would you teach them about keeping an open mind, learning about nutrition, speaking to their patients about it? How would you change our culture so that moving forward, we can all be evidence-based physicians that do integrate lifestyle change? I would have a kitchen as part of every educational uh, medical school. I mean, that has to be part of your curriculum. Lifestyle medicine should be a pillar, just like anatomy, physiology, and all the different things. That should be a pillar in your medical school because it's important that we understand that we've given our kitchens over to big, to big food. So a lot of these medical students probably – you know, they may or may not know how to cook. They may or may not understand just the value of what we're eating. They may or may not understand how, you know, the USDA and, you know, meat and dairy industries are in bed with each other. They may or may not understand, you know, food scientists. And I didn't under, I didn't know all that was going on. I didn't know food scientists. They paid millions of dollars to hit bliss points and, you know, mouthfeel. And I mean, all these crazy things that I've learned about, I was like, what in the world? I mean, this is more than me just trying to help a patient overcome their own personal um, obstacles. This is me fighting an industry and a culture and a government that does not look at the value of their citizens' health by what they're consuming. So um, that needs to be high, that needs to be put in front of them. The truth needs to be told. And the truth is absolute. You know, now we also live in a society where truth is not necessarily absolute. But I'm sorry, you may defy gravity, but go jump off a story, you know, five-story building, you're still going to fall to the ground. You know, there are truths that you can't deny. As much as you may want to put your head in a, you know, like blinders and head in the sand, truth is truth. <laughs> so the outcome will be the same. And so I think that needs to be put in front of them. But then also make it so intriguing to them by bringing in, Patients who are in their local community in their medical in their medical school community, you know, it could be um, you know working bringing in people who, um, for example, we had we started a garden at a local food bank when I was in Colorado, and teaching those people with the medical students how to cook and grow gardens and understand the value of the student and watch them get better because there's nothing more um, how do you say more convincing than to see the miracles happen in front of you. And these are truly miracles. I mean, I told, I, I told, I told people, and my husband cringes every time I say it, but I, I call it veggie crack. So whenever I have someone get better, you know, whenever we help someone, we do get a dopamine release. And that wants us to continue that. We're, we're made that way for a reason. And so when you see that and you're a part of that in whatever way you are, 
um, whether you're the chef cooking the meal or you're the doctor who's sharing the, this nutritional evidence and, and how this can help your type 2 diabetes or whatever, that is so uh, addicting that it's, it's, it's like you want more of it. And the coolest thing was just the community of people who do this is so loving and so supportive and so amazing. That is, for me, even just making the contacts and the friends that I have has been worth it regardless of all, you know, even beyond all the patients who got better, it's just those personal um, connections that I've made. And so I would have a kitchen in every medical school and every medical student would require to be pulled through and at least for a semester and work with local people in their area and provide these opportunities for them to see the value right in front of them get better. They watch a patient literally be assigned a couple of patients and watch them go through just like, you're assigned a patient when, you know, your patients when you're in residency, you have your panel, you're doing your clinic during residency, they're getting, you know, the same thing in medical school. This could be their patient interaction early before their clinical years. They would just watch patients go through and they're learning how to not only care for the patients, but themselves. We are terrible at taking care of ourselves. Doctors are horrible patients. Wow, what, how powerful to have them learn the power of the food. And then I would change the medical schools and hospitals there should be no junk food. There should be no McDonald's or Chick-fil-A's. There should be not available. It should only be whole foods provided for you and your patients. This is a place of healing, not a place of getting sick. Mm -hmm. um, and if we did that, we would see a revolution happen in the United States. There's oh, no doubt. Oh, it sounds amazing. It sounds like a dream come true. I wish I had that in my medical school. And my medical school is now teaching students about nutrition and lifestyle medicine and they do um, take the they have an elective class that students can take when cool. they're learning the culinary medicine and I wish that was there when I was uh, back in the where, where did you go just I went to the University of North Texas Health Science Center so I'm an nice. osteopathic physician do nice. I also got my master of public health and master of science there um, but I, I'm really proud that they have that there and hopefully the medical school here, I live in Yakima, Washington, um, Pacific Northwest University. They will integrate a program in the coming years. We're working on it and hoping that that cool. can come here. Um, so, but it also reminds me of, of another issue that happens. You know, uh, Dr. Michael Greger has talked in the past about, you know, the food industry and how they like to throw in just that little amount of doubt, you know? And as a pediatrician, this was something that I really was so strong about. You need your dairy, two or three servings per day. And I was taught that, and that was my mantra. You know, that was just what I said. And we said that for, you know, 100 years. I mean, like, you know, we've had advertisements for milk and how we need to put milk into kids' bodies and even adults' bodies because of osteoporosis and all that. Um, and now that I've learned better and I've seen the science and I'm practicing evidence-based medicine, I know that the risks of dairy far outweigh the benefits. Mm -hmm. But sometimes these patients come and they're like, why, why are you doctors always changing what you're saying? I mean, we're confused. And then they get overwhelmed and they're just like, whatever, I'm just going to eat whatever I want, whatever tastes good. So whenever we have a patient coming to us, that says that or is feeling that, 
what should we say? How would you approach a patient that's feeling overwhelmed and confused and says that they see all this different stuff coming in? You should eat a high fat diet and be on a ketogenic or you should eat a, a whole foods, low, uh, low fat plant-based diet. How do you help them sort through all of that and help them stay on a consistent path instead of veering back and forth and getting lost in all the, the noise? Well, there's a few approaches. Um, first of all, over the, the first year that I was doing this, my patients were very kind and patient. As I learned, they were learning. And so, you know, I was learning what was working and I was keeping track of obstacles or common questions. I was writing those down. I was writing uh, solutions that they either came up with or I came up with. I was bringing the science down to a layman's terms that I could verbalize it very quickly um, and typing that out into a handout. So I eventually came up with 30 page handout mm -hmm. and it got to the point I would print that off for those particular pages, which is often, I mean, I, I'm, I would say out of, let's say I saw 20 to 25 patients a day, um, at least half of them would walk out with that handout. And um, the importance of that is it's like, look, I'm giving you a guide here and I'm going to be your personal coach, doctor, whatever you want to call me, to health. I'm asking you to trust me because we've already got this relationship. And I changed myself, and this is what I've seen. So I, showed, I share my story. And I think it's important, even if your story is not very glamorous, like, oh, my allergies got better and my thyroid's gotten better um, after 20 years on medication. You know, it's not some way magnificent weight loss. It's not like I reverse my type 2 diabetes, but it's something that they see that I actually changed my family's diet, my own diet, that I'm living it. You being the example the model has is very, very powerful. And now you have that, and you also have this personal connection. You're face-to-face -face with your patient. That has value much more than what they're hearing on a television commercial and much more than what they're reading on the Internet or you know, their cousin's third cousin removed grandfather had did this or whatever, you know, this is you and me talking in a room. This is our intimate relationship with talking about your health and what we can do. And now you give them a guide, be it verbal, be it a paper document, be it, you know, here's your prescription, eat a smoothie every day to start, whatever that is that you want to, how you want to start your patient. That's really powerful. And that builds a trust because now you're a doctor who's actually taken the time to listen because a lot of times what I would get from patients beyond the fact whether they even change their diet or not was they love the fact that I would sit and listen and take the time to figure out a solution for them other than another prescription, mm -hmm. um, another than, oh, here's your medicine, here we're increasing it, come back in, you know, 10 days or whatever to see how you're, whatever it is. Because then I also had follow-up with my patients. I said, come back in a week. Do you need to come back in a week? Do you need to come back in a month? Do you want to come back in two weeks? Whatever that is. So it's really important that you say, like, listen, I'm here to hold your hand through that process. If you need a slight nudge, I'd be willing to do that. If you need me to push you, I can do that. Let's work this out. And you'll feel each patient, you know, how aggressive you can be. You know your patient. You can, you know, um, I would start, I used to start just kind of hesitantly because I was just feeling my my spiel I used to call it um, but then you get really comfortable with it and then I would just be after patients in a loving way um, one patient took a year and finally when she started listening I said something that connected with her and she reversed her diabetes wow. you know but it's worth it because I know the value of this is saving lives I mean people do you understand people die I mean dead 
like dead in the ground, not breathing, don't exist anymore. This is not a game. People can live longer, reverse chronic disease, live lives that they couldn't otherwise do. I mean, when you have people who step on a scale and weigh over 500 pounds and are crying, and they tell you that they're in their 30s and they want to be a runner, but they can barely move. They can't even do their seatbelts in their car. But now you work with them and change their diet and they've lost over 100 pounds and they're, they're exercising and they're, that dream will eventually come true. You interview people who've lost 250 pounds doing this and become ultra marathon runners and on the covers of Runner World. I mean, really? You think living your life at 400 pounds is better than doing that? Are you freaking kidding me? This is powerful medicine. This is huge. I mean, to ignore that, I mean, you just, I just, you just want to choke somebody sometimes. You're just like, really? Are you kidding? People are going to live. They live. It's more than just walking through with life with your eyes closed and I'm going to the doctor. I'm doing this. I'm always so tired. Blah, blah, blah. No, this is like living your life. Like I have a purpose. Everybody has a purpose. Their purpose, go live it because now you have the energy. You're not confined by your chronic disease. Yes. Is there a place for medicines? Of course. But for the majority, 80% chronic disease is unnecessary suffering. Completely. No hands down. Done. Your passion is leaping off of the screen. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like you're going to come through. <laughs> Listen to me, people. That's, and that's, that's exactly what I wanted to get at today because my podcast focuses on not just changing habits, changing behavior, forming new habits, but also motivation. So I think I know the answer to this, but in what you're doing right now, which we're going to elaborate on next, <laughs> what is it? What is your greatest motivation? What is it that makes you get up every morning and keep doing this, even though some days it's hard? You know, some days are hard in this area. What motivates you, Lori? You know, some days... I wouldn't say that they're hard. Um, well, it, it's the patience. Um, because I cannot tell you the number of people um, who have reached out to me, even recently, and say what an impact I've had in their life. And um, I mean, it's countless. And that is so humbling. And for me um, to know that I'm living what God needs me to do and I'm here doing it, um, I just, when the days are tough, my faith, well, I just put it on him and he carries me through. Mm -hmm. um, because the next thing I know, the next words that I say to someone can save their life, it's, it's, um, it's overwhelming. And then to know, you know, and it goes beyond even patient life now. It's our environment, our world, what we're living in. What's the future for my kids? Um, what is the future for your children and my patient's children and our grandchildren? And you know, how are we going to feed, you know, 11 billion people by 2050? There are ways to do this and there are ways to prevent, you know, chronic disease. And that includes a plant-based diet. And so um, that's how I see it. And so my faith is what I lean on when the tough days are tough. So I just lean into God and he'll carry me through. So that's beautiful. And I think that's evidence-based too. I know I'm it an evidence-based person, but we know from the Blue Zone Thanks. studies yeah. that the longest living populations, there is a component in there with faith and belonging. And I've listened to your podcast. I know that you're a woman of faith and that's something that carries you through and mm -hmm. keeps you motivated and keeps you going. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I know that recently though, you've had 
a wild ride in the past few weeks. So yeah. update us on your life, what's going on, and what you're headed toward. Um, you know, it's a pretty incredible thing um, working with um, Dr. Joel Furman. Um, last year, he had asked me to come down from Colorado, where my family was, and my youngest was finishing high school. He was 18 at the time. And um, he uh, was in his senior year, So, but I left during his senior year for seven months and um, was here helping start a clinic where we would bring people in to stay in residence. So meaning they didn't stay with us in a, in the, like I would be in a hospital setting, but we provided a place for them to stay if they were out of town or out of the country even. We've had people from England and Jamaica and different places. And um, to also provide not only the nutrition, we provide, you know, the uh, whole, uh, organic whole foods plant-based diet, but also um, teaching and we did in monitoring their medications and monitored their body composition, but we also provided a really intensive mental health therapy, um, which was amazing. I mean, I understood, I thought I understood behavioral health and I thought I understood habit formation and I thought I did a lot of things. Again, um, the door was open to me that I, I don't know an ounce of what I should know mm -hmm. um, to be a doctor to help people get better. So um, anyway, what we saw was some amazing changes. We saw uh, <laughs> 50 people walk through our doors and 50 people walk out with a different lease on life. And um, that opened in January 9th. But unfortunately, um, about two weeks ago, our financial backers pulled out uh, very abruptly. Um, so with some, uh, difficult situations that were had to be dealt with and but the patients were very um, kind and understanding and um, we had to discharge them home early and it was heartbreaking that that had to end so now I'm in this limbo land of where I've never been unemployed as an adult <laughs> I mean I started working like besides babysitting I was working at a gas station when I was 12 pumping gas I mean that's just been my life right you just work and keep going so um, there's some really cool stuff I'm working with a young woman um, Katie Ryan who's a registered dietitian plant-based so we have a how to health we've changed the name of the podcast we have my website Instagram and YouTube and Facebook and we're really working towards bringing people that how-to is it the habit formation it's the how to go shopping, it's how to prepare the food, because I think the science is there, you know, uh, whenever I speak to like Dr. Esselstyn or Dr. Campbell, like, oh, you need to do more studies, you need to prove the science, you need to get out there, that will bring you the credibility and stuff, but, like, you guys have done all that hard work, you've proven that, you know, the evidence-based stuff is there. For me, with the questions I get with every single patient, every single one is, how do I do this? how to help, like how do I get myself to healthy? And that is really what we're working towards. So we're doing that online and there's some other things that I'll probably be doing online so I can have the freedom and flexibility to go and do speeches. And, you know, I'll be talking later in September in California um, at a health, you know, a plant-based health care conference there, um, taking the lifestyle medicine a board certification in October in Tucson, which I think you are too, right? Or thinking about it. I was thinking about it, but my plate's pretty full right now. Yeah, I know the feeling. And um, and I was asked to write a book too. So um, that'll, you know, that manuscript's due in December. So there's a lot of really cool things. And again, I can't um, say enough about the people who've reached out and were very supportive to me in that, in 
that change in that um, abrupt uh, unemployment situation. But, you know, there were things that um, God put me here for a reason, and um, we'll see where it goes. I'm, I can only imagine that it's going to get be okay and be be better um, than it was before. I just I got to work with one of the amazing gurus, Dr. Joel Furman, and learn his um, methods and teachings and, you know, got to know, become a personal friend. And so I'm very thankful for that. And the team that I worked with here is, was incredible. And I hopefully to continue, um, you know, having uh, some type of relationship with them and the capacity of helping more people. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. What an amazing opportunity. And I'm so sorry that it had to end much sooner than you anticipated. Will you stay in Florida? Do you think? I will. um, Jonathan, my second child is transferred to FAU here in Boca. So he'll, when he's done with college, we may end up back towards um, West somewhere. Um, We'll see. Um, My husband really likes his job here. So, but you know, Colorado has been home. The Northwest could be home. We have lots of family there. So I may end up in Washington state. Oh, you can come live in Yakima. That would be awesome. (laughs) I have some some office space for you here. If you want to share with me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really liking this online thing. Actually, this is nice, isn't it? uh, Yeah. So I want to go back to your time working with Dr. Furman and Mm -hmm. you have said more than once that it's been amazing what you learned as far as behavior change. So what would be the, the key pearl or that, that little nugget of wisdom that you didn't know before that you learned during your time there that you feel can really impact not just how we deal with patients and how we guide patients, but for ourselves as well, because we all, you know, could use a little bit of motivation and behavior change sometimes. I think there's two things. One is that people want to connect with you emotionally. Okay. We're driven by our emotions. Um, And that's much deeper than we, I think we understand. So my understanding when I would teach patients and I was very real with them and just, you know, my goofy self sometimes, um, they really enjoyed that. They like the interaction. They like the, the conversation. It's just not being talked to. It's a conversation where I talk with them. Um, that really brought them into the fold and open to what I had to say. Um, because even though they had come to the health oasis, um, there still was resistance within them. You know, they know what they like to say is their better brain brought them there, but now their, their heart needs to change. And so um, that was really key. And then I understood the power loop. Uh, or the, excuse me, the, the power of the habit loop. So how, you know, learning, understanding the um, biologic, physiologic reason for addiction, food addiction, whatever, or any habit, good or bad, um, and that routine and understanding the cues and the rewards, that was really powerful for me so that I understood how when patients would tell me they can't do something, I understood where they were where were they in this? What was their motivation? What was their um, reward? What was that craving that they were having? So it really was powerful for me. And then when I explained to them, because they felt helpless to their habits, they feel like I'm just not, I don't have the willpower to do this. Like it's not a willpower thing. Mm -hmm. So when they understand what I was teaching on the science level, on the physiologic level, and then understand this habits that we've learned how to, what we're doing when we're kids and whatever that may be. When we write it down and draw it out for them, 
um, it was really powerful. It was like I just went, whoa, I could change that. I could do that. And we start with small habit changes. Um, if someone's overwhelmed, like someone like me can, you know, literally overnight go do that. That's my personality. I'm done. Let, let's go. But for them, I mean, we would do small habit changes, one little tiny thing at a time. And before you know it, that ripple effect goes in a mini. So that for me is a key uh, piece of what I'm, I would teach medical students and other doctors in lifestyle medicine is you have to understand this is more than where are they in the readiness of willing, you know, the motivational changes and all that. Yeah, I can remember, oh, yes, they're here in this, this phase of readiness. So the next time they come, I need to say that as like, no, I need to have a real conversation with someone. I need to understand their motivations. I need to know what buttons for marketing. It's those key hot words, right? You're looking for your keywords. Like, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing, you know, there's, there's search engine optimization. Well, I'm doing like, well, what is my patient optimization? What are those words I need to find to push their buttons to like, every time I see them, I can use those words and say, you remember you want to go climb a 14 or you want to go hike up here. You want to watch your kid play football. You want to be here for your granddaughter's wedding, whatever. That is what I'm going to use. I'm going to, you know, for like kids, for example, they, they make use cartoon characters and they found in studies that even if it's just a regular little cartoon character at a cafeteria and it's a carrot of some sort, they'll eat more carrots. And it doesn't have to be, you know, some SpongeBob SquarePants. It could just be like a little superhero carrot and they're going to eat more of it. It's just, that, that type of stuff is what we have to teach because we are literally fighting for lives. And yeah. so, I mean, I, I think that's, that's huge. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I love learning about the habit loop as well. It's the, mm -hmm. the cue, your routine, and then the reward. Because like you said, I think it really helps take the blame off because sometimes when we're stuck in these habits that – are getting on our nerves and we want to change and we feel like it's our fault, but it's our right. brains. It's just the way our brains are built. And actually right. not only is it the way our brains are built, but that was protective. That was put there so that right. we could save mental energy. So whenever you see it that way, you're like, Oh, okay. Well, it's not because I'm lazy or, you know, I'm slovenly. It's because I've developed a habit and just how you've developed a habit, you can relearn a habit. So speaking of habits, I want to ask you a, a personal question about habits. You said that you're, you're kind of type A, so you're kind of, an, sounds like an all or nothing, just go in there and do it. What would you consider one of your habits that you're most proud of? How did you form it and how do you maintain it? I think that's a tough one. Uh, I would say my ability to continue to work on something, even though I may have multiple failures. So it's, um, how did I learn it? Uh, because I didn't have an option when I was a kid. Um, there was only going to be one way out of my, my home situation. And that was excelling at school and getting scholarships and going to college and becoming a doctor. There was only one way that I knew, um, in my, in my future. And, once that started happening um, and I saw the rewards of that hard work, um, that was very motivating. And that's how I made it to medical school with three kids and the active duty and being deployed and, you know, this, this is what's getting me through. So um, the hard work and non-procrastination, procrastination just 
grates my nerves. Like I can't, it's got to get done. It's got to get done. And uh, how do I maintain it? Um, I stay focused on my goal. And um, the goal either be long-term or short-term, but I can't be too far out, but I need to look at the smaller goals ahead too that I can accomplish so I don't become overwhelmed. Um, Because it is easy. You can become overwhelmed. But for me, um, that is key is just, making a plan, writing it down. I can't do this typing. So like I still have a, you know, a schedule that's written down because I need to write it. There's something about writing that finishes it for me and it's out of my mind. Otherwise I'm constantly thinking about it. It uses up my mental energy, building a plan and executing. Um, and if it fails, oh, okay, what failed? Let's keep going. Um, it's just, it's got to get done. I mean, I just, I'm stubborn. That's it. Yeah. So it sounds like you, one of your best habits is persistence. You it are a persistent person. You're consistent. And the reward you've gotten is that when you've continued to be persistent, you have eventually achieved your goals one after right. another. So you right. know to hang in there. You've developed yeah. the habit of just hanging in there because you know yeah. things will eventually get to where you want it to you, be. You know, one of my mantras is be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Life is hard. Mm-hmm. There's no way, you know, we, weren't, we don't deserve an easy life. Life is hard. And once you accept that, all right, let's make, let's go for it. Let's, we're here to, let's make the best of it. And, um, again, life is hard. You know, I've, someone told me that in the last few weeks, like, Lori, life is hard. Oh, what? <laughs> what else is new? You're like, you're absolutely right. So, um, put on my big girl panties and keep going, you know? <laughs> and so, um, now does that rub some people the wrong way sometimes, but that's okay. I don't have to be everybody's friend. I just speak the truth and um what i know to be truth and um if someone can prove to me that that's wrong then i'll be the first to admit that i was wrong and well what's most important is that it works for you and i think each of us needs to find what works for us and we need to help our patients find what works for them because we're all individuals so if life is hard works for you but life is easy works for somebody else whatever it works whatever works just use what works right okay and then i i'm curious to know what has been the goal that you have found in the past that has been the most difficult to achieve that it was really tough and what motivated you to hang in there to achieve that goal that was finishing medical school and um what allowed me to finish it was being creative in ways of accomplishing a huge amount of tasks. So for me, um, when I walked into pharmacology, um, I can't remember if it was my freshman or, or my first or second year. I should remember that, but I don't. Um, and uh, seeing, literally, they gave us a stack. This is before it was all digital. This is like, you know, this is a stack. And I was like, <laughs> I still remember getting this stack of, you know, drug information and side effects and interactions and stuff. So I was like, is that for a, a semester or they go, Oh no, this is just for the, you know, the first few weeks. I was like, right here. Like, That's really funny. And then I was like, how am I going to memorize that on top of everything else in medical school, doing my MBA classes I, and three kids. And I was like, I'm doomed to fail. So um, what happened was I, I love to draw and I love that there's a creative element um, to drawing and it's release, I started doodling and um, used what I we ended up calling visual mnemonics, where basically I would capture a, a 
drug category in one drawing with their side effects, but I put a visual element to it. So instead of remembering page four, paragraph three on a test, that's one side effect, I could remember visually. Um, you know, like for example, vincomycin would be a little van, it would be colored red, it can cause flushing when you give it. I mean, I would remember that red van running across some mean looking sugars, it's some mean sugars. I mean, these are true things I do 20 years ago, I still remember glycans. I mean, it just, it just stuck in my head. And what happened was other students started using them. We published books. I would publish seven books while I was in medical school. And um, that was like, <laughs> if it wasn't for those darn cartoons, I would have failed medical school. So I literally had my MD because of cartoons. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. That's really yeah. impressive. So oh. Is it related to those books like that microbiology made easy and those kinds of things? Yeah, so we call them the visual mnemonics and um, they were um, Blackwell Publishing, which then was taken up by Lippincott. And uh, the, we had uh, my intern year, what we discovered, did you know you, the whole mantra of you see one, teach one, you know, see one, do one, teach one, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, what happened was we built, we had the six visual mnemonic books, and then we had the Blueprint Clinical Series. Uh -huh. And we actually did that um, for Blueprint Clinical Procedures, like procedures that, you know, you may not have been the lucky one, the medical student on call who got to put in um, an IV or, you know, do something cool like a chest tube or you didn't see you know how to do this particular type of stitching or you didn't you know whatever so what we did is we took those most common you know clinical procedures and put them in a book and they sent down a photographer and Texas Tech was awesome they we had medical students volunteer all my kids are in it taking pictures of the little people and um, you know how to do um, lumbar punctures and um, yeah, it was just really cool. So that was our seventh book, and that was our intern year. So. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> Laura, I feel like we could talk for hours and hours more. There's so many interesting things about your life and your personality that I am really enjoying learning about. But our time has come to an end. So I wanted to yeah. close with where can people find you? What services are you yeah. offering if people are really – digging your personality and what you have, how can they reach out to you and, and get help from you? Thank you. Um, we can be found at howtohealth.org, and that's how with T-O, health.org. Um, and I'm on Facebook, um, Instagram, YouTube. We have How to Health TV. Um, we upload, we have, of course, the podcast, which is my favorite thing, How to Health Podcast. But we have an inner circle um, and you can find that information on health.org website. And it is awesome in there. Like there is some really cool um, accountability occurring and people we, you know, we talk to them about diet. We talk about, we do challenges. We talk about habits. They have first uh, view of podcasts. We have, I post in there. It's like, I have Dr. Greger, for example, I just interviewed Dr. Greger and I said, I sent them and said, listen, you guys tell me what you want me to ask. And they were able to tell me that. And so they get to see and listen to the podcast before anybody else does. Um, it's just a really cool place. And so, um, that would be my big thing for them and sign up for the email list because we send out recipes and, um, all sorts of cool stuff, um, on a weekly basis. So. Awesome. And I'll definitely put the show notes on how to reach you. Are you doing any private uh, coaching or working with any uh, patients yeah. or clients privately at all? 
I can, I can do that. Um, I'm trying to do this more in the inner circle just because it's a group thing. Um, Katie, a uh, registered dietitian, is doing more of the private consultations. Um, as I get busier doing some other things that are coming on the horizon, um, which I hope will really take off, I won't have the opportunity to just work one-on-one -on -one so much, but I really want to work it with people in the group. But Katie can certainly do that. She does an excellent job with that. So. Great. And I know that you also have a few products that are on your website, yeah. you, especially for my listeners and families. Can you tell us quickly about the products that you have that people mm -hmm. can buy? And we'll be building more too. So their course is basically online courses. One is getting started on a whole food plant-based diet. Um, it's an eight module course where people can download. There's videos, everything. It's literally that 30 page handout condensed in an eight module course. Um, then we also have the one for the kiddos, how to get your kids to eat more vegetables, um, where we actually have, I know you've been through it and I appreciate everything you've said about it. Um, the, uh, superhero cookbook, um, and you know, there's superhero vegetables, but it's, you know, it talks about, um, different phases of growth and what they need to sustain, um, you know, this, what vitamin supplements they should be looking at, um, you know, 57 tips to get kids to actually eat their vegetables. And I literally did research. I looked at the, they actually use, there's actually research on how to get marketing to people to eat stuff. So I just applied this to vegetables and fruits. And um, I've had a lot of actually very positive feedback. Um, and there's some other stuff too, you know, like there's free handouts, um, how to stop food cravings. It's a cool little technique that I've gotten a lot of good feedback on that as well um, that I developed. So there's some really neat stuff in there. Lori, thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast today. You are a beautiful person, an amazing, highly motivated habit person. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing your own journey and also how you work with patients and all the things that you've learned. I really appreciate your time and I am so grateful to know you and to be able to call you my friend and colleague. So I hope to learn more from you in the future. And thank you. I thank you for everything that you're doing for the world, your patients, and in the future for medical education. So right. thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast. I hope that you really enjoyed it. I want to give a special shout out and thank you to the band, The Rocket Surgeons, who allowed me to use their song, The Broccoli Song, in my intro, and you will hear soon in the extra. They are amazing. I love this song. You can find them on Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Band, Instagram at Rocket Surgeons, and also their website, rocketsurgeonsband.com. Thank you, guys. I love your song. If you want more information about plant-based nutrition, healthy lifestyles, you can find more about me and what I do at Facebook forward slash VeggieFitKids, where I post videos, blog posts, tips, and recipes in order to help you live a plant-based lifestyle and healthy lifestyle. Thank you again and have a plantastic day. I will see you next Sunday. We're having broccoli.